Good afternoon and thank you everyone and welcome to this AAOP podcast. Thank you for sharing your time with all of us and I'm going to let you guys to go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience. Um, I'm Linda Sangaldi and I'm a third year resident at the official pain program at the University of Kentucky and I am currently finishing my Master of Science here. My name is Arkan Onurlu. I'm a second year resident at UCLA official pain. Hi. I'm Diego Fernandez, and I'm completing the third year of my residency and master's at the University of Kentucky as Linda. Hello, everyone. My name is Maram Taima. I'm the chief resident at University of Minnesota, doing my official pain residency as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrea Numbers, and I'm a second year at the University of Michigan's official pain program. Hello, everyone. My name is Chiman Gao. I'm a second year resident at the University of Minnesota Orofacial Pain KMD program. Thank you all for being here. It's, it's great to have you. So let me start by asking you a very um, simple question. What sparked your interest for orofacial pain? How did you get interested in this field? Well, I can start. Um, so um, to answer this question, um, you need to know that I am an orthodontist as a training, um, and I was working uh, in uh, several private practice in uh, uh, Italy and in England. And what I started noticing was that uh, either I was referred patients with TMD or pain in the orofacial region, or some of my patients would also develop some clicking sound, some intermittent locking, some pain in the in the orofacial area. So the reason why I became, I became then interested in orofacial pain was that I wanted to understand more what uh, was the best treatment for my patient and how to respond to their question and how to develop a, 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 the best treatment plan. So, and also to achieve my confidence in uh, treating my patient the best way possible. So I finally decided to embark this journey and that's why I'm currently here. I'm from Turkey. Actually, I studied dentistry in Turkey and I practiced general dentistry for 15 years and during my practice I came across with a lot of not a lot of but time to time I've seen some complex TMD cases and at the time I was in every time was saying was it purely TMD or was there a headache component or any other problems on the side and I was referring those patients to some university clinics and some specialists and usually most of the time they came back they came back with the same problems and I was kind of feeling like I'm good with doing dentistry, but I don't understand what's happening with these cases. They keep coming to the dentist because it's happening on the jaw, the face, and they see other specialists, but um, it's like an unending circle. They keep coming all the time with no uh, improvement, you know. And then I moved to US uh, a couple of years ago, and I had some time to think about what I did in the past and what I wasn't able to handle well, kind of a reflection period. And I decided to learn more about the official pain. And I went to NYU's official pain and headache clinic in New York. I was living in New York in the past. And I wanted to see if it really fits me. And because I didn't want to learn the things I already know about dentistry. This is something I don't I don't know and I was very curious about. So I spent a year there and I really found it very interesting. And then I you know, took the board exams and started applying for them. So we got to UCLA. In my case, uh, when I was in dental school, I never thought that I was going to move this direction. I was only sure that I was 
or I didn't want to practice general dentistry for the rest of my life. So I decided to pursue becoming an orthodontist. And at the same time, I came here to the University of Kentucky for a couple of months. And I was a baby at that time. I had no idea where I was. And I remember that when back at home, I decided to kind of shower for a week and had an orthodontist practice. And basically at day two being there, I was like, I'm not doing this. There's no way this is too mechanical. I'm not going there. And after that, I came here back for the mini residency program and then applied to the residency and ended up doing the masters. And I still remember those cases that I was able to observe when I came here the first time. And I think that all of those experiences, along with meeting people that work in this field that you see that they love what they do, I think that they go kind of priming you as a person at such a level that, at least for me, was a no-brainer brainer applying here and coming. And I never have second thought about that. For me, I was a prosthodontist faculty in Cairo University in Egypt. And I was usually seeing the patients referred by the surgery or surgery division for having um, a splint before surgery or something like that. And usually they were young females. And they had this fear a little bit of having a surgery. And of course, it's the right. Um, so I started looking it up a little bit, what else other than the surgical option. And I found that there's other conservative options um, and started treating my patient conservatively and had my master's degree. My master's thesis actually and the PhD thesis related to TMDs. And I fell in love and here I am. <laughs> Um, yeah, so my my journey may be much like you all because um, orofacial pain is not this widely known uh, space. I kind of stumbled upon orofacial pain. And in my third year of dental school, I was attending a Saturday elective course where an orofacial pain specialist was speaking. And he shared a case, I remember, of a cervical dystonia and... I think the thing that intrigued me the most was the management of the case for this patient. It was so different than I had seen patients being managed while I was in dental school. Um, so they thought not only about kind of injections and medications, but also about the psychological and social components like dressing with better care and focusing on managing mental health for the patients. And I just kind of thought to myself, wow, this is so intriguing. So at that point, it sparked my interest in the space. And then I just began to dig in deeper to try to understand more. Interestingly enough, I actually attended the University of Kentucky's mini residency um, among attending like the AOP conferences and just really started to shadow a lot of orofacial pain specialists and learn as much as I could, and ultimately just really fell in love with the space. Yeah, I'll be the last one to share, and I'm Chi Man, so I'm glad to hear all these amazing stories, and uh, I can feel the passion from all you guys. Uh, my story is a little bit different, but ultimately similar. I grew up in China. I did my Bachelor of Dental Surgery and Master in Oral Maxillofacial Surgery. When I was practiced as oral surgeon, we our clinic in Shanghai, we had a lot of TMD patients and uh, I was not interested in, but uh, there's a lot of surgical intervention or in injections. I actually personally have TMD, but I was never thinking about treating it with surgery or injections. Um, 
And until actually the third or fourth year of my PhD, I become really interested in it. So I did my PhD at McGill University, which uh, where I studied uh, pain and acute pain, dental anesthesia. I wrote a review about TMD, uh, a meta-analysis actually. And I started to take more lectures about chronic pain, pain mechanism, pain management. I do find my passion in pain research. And then I have a mentor doing my clinical trial. She is my clinical supervisor. And her name is Dr. Sufina. Uh, and it's, she's actually completed her one-year certificate fellowship at University of Kentucky, I think 2010. I really love her and I really feel her passion about TMD or official pain. Actually, right now, she wants to start an artificial pain program in Montreal. Um, so she has a strong impact on me um, as my mentor. Um, she made me for be more curious about artificial pain. And then, yeah, like my research interest, my clinical interest, and my mentor's passion about artificial pain, all of this lead me to this field eventually. That's fantastic stories. Thank you so much for sharing. I can see some common denominators, right? You guys talk about love and passion, and I certainly share those with you as well. Um, let me ask you this, this question. How many among you have received any uh, training in TMD or official pain during your uh, dental school years? Actually, I have exactly the same question because I was listening to all the backgrounds, and we all come from different countries. And at least for me, it, TMD and orofacial pain was included in my regular like uh, curriculum during my dental studies because some of my professors also came here. So I think it was like a legacy. People going back there and teaching the same and then you're like, okay, we'll go to the base. And But I don't know how it works in the other countries. I know how it works here in the States. It's something that is growing, but I'm extremely curious about exactly the same. Diego, do you mind sharing where are you from and how many oh. hours maybe, if you can remember, of your curriculum were dedicated to, to this field? Yeah, I'm from Chile, specifically from Santiago, the capital. So I did their dentistry usually six years. So in your third, fourth year, you have to go uh, through those courses of quote-unquote occlusion, <laughs> I think is the name that we use for this. But at least I'm proud of my university and the background that they taught us more that from a biopsychosocial kind of um, philosophy. So at least the temporomandibular disorders area was something that it was not completely new for me when I was here. Headaches, neuropathic pain, I think was completely new. Um, so even though I didn't have a lot of experience working with patients, at least I feel that in the theoretical component and the classes, I got that kind of pretty well. But now I remember when I was, after graduating, I started working with my patients. They were like, okay, I know some of these, but I was like, I don't feel secure. I don't feel comfortable doing this. So I was always referring. Um, now, of course, after three years, I think that I feel confident on that. But even at this level, I still feel in some cases that I'm like kind of insecure and I go back to the attendings and everything. So that's kind of my transition, please, in my case. 
I have to say that when I came here at the University of Kentucky to do my uh, interview, I also remember that I used to uh, just confuse TMJ, TMD, and a nice resident of your of you guys told me, oh, you know what, when you go to the uh, committee, just say TMD, that is better. <laughs> so I was kind of completely naive. And I just remember now that you were bringing up this question, Dr. Moreno, that actually I was taught to do uh, occlusal adjustment when I was, well, I also have to say that I graduated 10 years ago. Uh, so I don't know if that then has any progress or any evolution. Um, but I do, I do remember that I had for uh, three years some um, occlusion teaching, but mostly it was occlusal adjustment and bite girl and biker management. So I've never heard about any headache, any neuropathic pain, any um, management of uh, muscle pain. And do you mind sharing with the audience where are you from, Linda? Yes, I come from Italy. Um, I'm from Turkey, and we didn't really learn much about the pressure pain. Overall, I was only able to learn how to deliver an authority, how to adjust it. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't really spend much time about understanding which pain is, really, I mean, is it joint or is it muscle? Or, and I only remember one expert saying, I was really excited and I learned this. One of our professors, uh, he was a, he was a professor, and he, he once said, your patients can get a lot of headaches if you don't adjust the vertical perfectly. So, you know, like the rest of the world, the, I mean, the dentistry still thinks that it's occlusion is really very important and it's going to a lot of um, TNJ problems, headaches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm also from Egypt and I remember that it was a chapter at the end of the curriculum of oral surgery and prosthesis, and that's it. And you no, know, we did not treat patients. Maybe we had the exposure for splints or something like that, but how to use them, when to use them, no. I was completely naive, like Linda and Orkan were saying. I attended uh, dental school in the U.S., so I can kind of speak from that perspective. Um, uh, we did get some introduction into temporomandibular disorders, just kind of understanding articular disc disorders and kind of joint anatomy and things like this. And much like you all, kind of learning how to uh, fabricate a bite splint, um, but not really learning different types or necessarily how to adjust them. And uh, also, like Linda mentioned, uh, we also learned about occlusal adjustments. So it had a very uh, occlusion-focused um, direction, which I ended up finding very interesting as I learned more and got into the orofacial pain space, because I think it brings up, um, and I know just in general, the need to have really up-to-date education in TMD and dental schools. And um, I think that could have been really valuable to kind of learn that early on. Um, so I think there's definitely a gap, but you know, I think they do their best with kind of how much curriculum we have to learn over the years, but I think there's certainly opportunity for improvement. I was training in China, I also, have some experience in Canada and now I'm in US, so I can give everybody a like an overview of the three countries. Um, as everybody said, I think out of outside of North America, the conservative care part of TMD was really not well recognized. So when I was trained in China, our hospital 
the dental department was really famous for oral surgery and we were trained for TMD. We were trained for a lot of about a lot of knowledge about TMD surgery. We we're trained a lot about neuropathic pain. Uh, but when students go out and practice, they kind of forget about the knowledge. Um, so and there's no training about the conservative care part of TMD when I was trained in China. I know that right now there are other programs in other dental school in China start to incorporate it. So which is a good thing. Well, when I was in McGill, uh, uh, there were no TMD special like course, special courses uh, other than a rotation for like, I think two weeks in the oral facial pain department. And right now, just this year, they added uh, a series of, I think a few creative course about TMD for the DMD and DDS program, which is a great thing. So I do see the trend of people in different countries spending effort to close this gap, as Andrea mentioned, the gap. And while in US, University of Minnesota, because we have this TMD or official pain program for more than 40 years, the gap is much smaller. And we got a lot of referral from general dentists who graduate from UMN because they receive the training here, they get the knowledge here, even now it's mandatory uh, rotation and a lot of lecture credit uh, for the DDS TMD student to learn more about TMD. So I think in US we have much smaller gap. Yeah. So you guys alluded as well to the fact that you probably saw some cases early on that might have made an impact in the, on you. And if you don't mind, I would like to share my own experience. When I was starting in this field, I had a couple of cases that I will, I think that I will always remember. But, but there was this one case that I was able to observe while I was doing a shadowing program here at the University of Kentucky. This was an elderly woman about in her mid-80s that came to see Dr. Aukeson uh, because she was having excruciating facial pain. She was unable to drink or eat or even brush her teeth because of the pain that she was having. So she had lost a significant amount of weight in the last few weeks, you know, since the onset of pain. So Dr. Aukeson diagnosed her with trigeminal neuralgia and he prescribed the appropriate treatment for her. But what really uh, struck me or what really made a huge impact with me is that he decided to go ahead and do a nerve block to at least provide some transient pain relief to this person. And he immediately went on and assisted her to brush her teeth because she had not been able to brush her teeth. So she had a, huge, a significant amount of plaque. And he went on and assisted her and helped her out to brush her teeth and send her immediately to the cafeteria so at least she could get a nice meal, you know, before the anesthesia wear off and until uh, the prescription or the medication will, will have effect. So to me, uh, that was at least for me a turning point in my career. I really realized how much we could help patients with their facial pain and help them with the suffering. And for me, at least, it was also a great example from, from a great mentor on how to treat patients with compassion, with humanity, and, and that experience on itself, among other patients that I was able to observe, 
made me decide that this is what I wanted to do. So I then uh, applied to the program here at the University of Kentucky, and this was more than 10 years ago, and I got accepted, and, and now I'm dedicated to this field. So I wanted to ask you guys, and I know that Andrea has already mentioned a little bit one of her cases, but is there a case that has made a profound impact in you, and do you mind sharing that uh, with us? My case that I remember pretty well is uh, kind of related to what you were uh, already sharing, Dr. Moreno, um, because it also impacted me in the way that uh, I understood how much we can help this patient. So this was a um, 20 years old female and she was suffering from excruciating pain as well for two years of duration. Um, and what happened is that she Eventually, we diagnosed her with muscle pain, and in particular with uh, uh, muscle pain coming from the temporal tendon. And uh, the thing that uh, um, struck me the most was that she was uh, endorsed suicidal ideation because of the secondary, because of the experience of pain. Um, and uh, so we did a temporal tendon injection, and her pain was gone. And so she started crying. And in these instances, you you, you just understand how 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 knowledge can play a, a role and uh, can make a huge impact on the people on people's lives and uh, how pain in the face can also comes with a particular severe psychological distress and how we can help um, our patient and also um, in dealing some uh, conditions that are unfortunately obscure to most of the dentists. I have an interesting case to share. And I met this patient last year during my first year. This is not a usual or official pain case. It's a chronic coughing case, actually. And the patient came to our clinic with some jaw pain during the exam. And every time I, 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 I palpated the deep masseter, she started coughing. And then she uh, explained the story with the coughing part. She says she had been coughing for seven years. And nobody was able to stop it. So she's been seen by a lot of specialists. A lot of ENT, a lot of pulmonologists, they did all the tests. And they, nowadays, they started calling it cough hypersensitivity syndrome. Um, and it was really interesting for me because when I palpate the deep master and the patient starts coughing, normally, you know, there are some trigger points, some referral patterns, but it's not in the book. It's not, it's, it's not usual. It's not expected. So I started reading about chronic coughing cases and the studies in the ENT world and how they approach these cases. Uh, they really don't know how to treat this chronic hypersensitivity, uh, hypersensitivity syndrome. And in the past 10 years, I understand they started using chronic pain approaches, like, and they tell me it's, it's a kind of central sensitization. They started try to use some like TCAs, SNRIs, like a chronic myofascial pain case. And they got some relief. It was really interesting because I was able to to take the cuff by just palpating the muscle. I kind of reviewed all the articles written about chronic cough in the past 15 years and came up with a um, treatment plan alternative. We did some aggressive physical therapy, a lot of exercises, mainly in mean, basic physical medicine protocols and body mechanics. And the patients improved 75% in six months. I mean, we used some pharmacotherapy on the side, some trigger point injections, some nerve blocks some compounded capsaicin spray for the throat. Basically, these are the main uh, treatment modality for these patients. My point is, uh, I really like this case because I had to deep dive into something, someplace really I don't know much about. 
and I had to keep asking questions and I always had to spend a lot of time uh, with reading those articles and come up with a different perspective and come up with a treatment plan. And in the end, it really uh, worked out great. I'm still seeing this patient and she's still doing the physical therapy and using the full spray capsules. And, uh, but she's doing fine and I'm, tr- I'm trying to write a piece of about this and I really want to share this. I think lastly, I don't want to keep it that long. Um, I think orofacial pain specialists maybe in the future maybe should more um, I mean, participate in treating coughing cases because once the patient keeps coughing more than three months, they start getting a lot of trigger points around the head and neck. We need to discuss this more in more depth and come up with a different plan for these people because there are a lot of people and a lot of kids too. Well, that's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing, Nurkan. Actually, I mean, I completely encourage you to go ahead and, and, and maybe publish it as a case report, and I will be looking forward to, to reading more about it. I think my story is kind of similar to what happened with Dr. Moreno. I still remember one case that I observed when I came here shallowing. He was a 50, 60-year-old male with severe neuropathic pain. That one of those weird cases that you basically have multiple differential diagnosis and you kind of try to point where the origin is. And to be honest, at that time, I had no idea what we were talking about. I was shallowing. And I remember talking with him. He was saying that with a constant 8 to 10 out of 10 pain, even if you use something to go down to a 6, 7 out of 10, it would be a life changer. And then five years after, I'm being a resident when we were discussing the cases in our weekly case conference here in Kentucky, another resident talked about a follow-up that she saw that day, and it was him. And I remember that it took me nothing, not even one minute, to recognize the story. And basically, what I said is that he kept coming back all this time for regular follow-ups, but he was still having that intractable chronic pain. But he was saying that what helped him the most was to learn how to live with pain, which is better now maybe in terms of intensity and a little bit more stable, but his quality of life was way better. And all of that was mostly because of the support provided by the attendings and the residents at that time and then during the following generations. So at the end, going back to the question, I think that what impressed me the most was not the patient or the case itself, the condition. It was the management done by the team and the human quality of them. So why not doing the same? So I think that kind of pride me and one of the reasons maybe why I'm here back. Yeah, these are very interesting cases, actually. I think we all had some similar path. Um, for me, it was a patient who had, uh, again, prosthesis. She had a total maxillectomy on one side. She was in her early 30s. And after that, after doing a maxillectomy, usually she needs an obturator. The obturator goes through uh, several phases. So the final phase of doing the obturator, supposedly everything healed. But doing the impressions, the impressions of an obturator is, a very, is an ugly impression. So it was very painful for her just to open her mouth. And again, Egypt, usually people who are in the maxillofacial processes are somehow males. So they always said, ah, She's just making it up that pain is not real or something like that. And so I just, okay, I said, okay, I'll do the impression. Never mind. Let, let me do it. And started talking with her. And it sounded like it's more of she's holding tension in this area. 
course, after being through a tumor and excision of the tumor and everything, she didn't go through radiation, but she had a lot of tension in this area. She's having a lot of pain and facial disfigurement. So we just talked about like, try to relax. I'm not doing the impression today. We'll do it some other day. And we just talked about some heat tasks, very simple procedures. We didn't do anything really. And the next time when she was there, she was able to open properly. I did the impression where there was no big problem. And I felt like some simple stuff can help. It doesn't have to be very complex. I don't have to do a lot of procedures and it can work. So I felt like, I think I want to be there. Yeah, I think that's a really kind of powerful message in our space because sometimes doing nothing at all is, um, and just being a listening ear to our patients can be really helpful. Um, there is a case that kind of comes to mind for me in general, kind of a group of patients, those being our chronic pain patients who, um, in spite of their illness, still find hope um, and still kind of have that resiliency to keep moving forward. Um, I recently saw a 75-year-old uh, gentleman who has been in chronic pain since the 1970s. And uh, he's the sweetest guy, um, and he has such a positive outlook, um, and he's still um, kind of searching for answers to his pain. So he saw a large number of specialists. He received no answers. Um, during our exam, we kind of were going through the kind of basic head and neck exam. We're palpating uh, muscles throughout the cervical and masticatory area. And uh, it was amazing because we were able to kind of reproduce the pain that has been ailing him for so many years. Um, it was kind of one of those classical neural convergence cases where you're getting pain referral. And um, it was really amazing to see um, his hope be kind of re-inspired, like maybe we have some answers for him. Um, you know, maybe we don't have all the answers, but maybe we can kind of lessen his pain through different treatments. Um, through my conversations with him, he also opened up about kind of mental health struggles he had throughout his life and other personal issues in his life. So I think it's a really kind of special relationship we get to build with our patients and understand all these aspects and how they impact their pain. Um, but ultimately, you know, he was helping me help him. And I just felt like it was a really good beautiful partnership between, you know, patient and provider. Um, yeah, I'm really happy I heard all these stories. There are a lot of cases in my mind, so it's hard to share a specific one, but I can share a few like the moment. So, um, you know, I guess everybody has similar experience. The funny moment, you got a patient referred by a endodontist or dentist with a chief complaint of tooth pain that they really couldn't find anything you end up finding out it's either neuropathic pain or referral pain from the myofascial pain. So that's the moment, very rewarding. Uh, I guess most of um, us had this similar experience. Um, another thing will be um, getting a patient referred by, a, uh, let's say, a neurologist. So I, uh, I work, uh, my research now is focusing on treating neurology and some of the tragic neurology patients actually they do not have tragic neurology and they have TMD. So actually last year, one of our co-residents uh, submitted a poster on the AVOP about it. So it's a patient with misdiagnosed as tragic neurology and then went through the treatment, even a MVD procedure. Um, it's a surgery in the brain. And then end up we discovered TMD. 
with standard TMD treatment, the pain was able to be managed and the patient was happy. But um, it's kind of rewarding, but you know, there's a lot of things we can do to help uh, the neurosurgeon realize not every facial pain that sounds like trigeminalgia is trigeminalgia. So this is another interesting story. And yeah, I hope the case will be published very soon, uh, hopefully next year. Looking forward to that uh, that publication as well, Shiman. Thank you for thank you for that. So I think this is like the perfect uh, point, maybe to to ask you my following question: What do you guys feel is the most rewarding aspect of treating patients with orofacial pain, and which one is the most challenging? For me, uh, the most rewarding aspect is that we can. Uh, give our patient some quality of life back. Um, Dr. Okazar, but as well as uh, other specialists in the field, they always uh, want to point to the fact that we do not treat our patient, but we try to help them managing their pain. But this is very important because how uh, grateful then the patient are uh, toward us because we are giving them a little bit of quality of life back. And as for the uh, most challenging aspect, um, well, um, this was something that I had particularly experienced during my first year of the residency, and I struggled a little bit upon, uh, on, on this. Because we are trained as dentists, and especially as an orthodontist, my brain was pretty much mechanical. So I, was, uh, I believe in physics, and if you want to move one tooth uh, from point A to point B, you just apply the forces and then the, the tooth move. Um, um, and then what happened with a chronic pain patient instead is that we have to, I had to accept that our treatment might not be uh, successful in the sense that maybe the treatment will not lead our patient's pain to go from eight to zero out of 10. Because this anyway rarely happen with a patient that experienced chronic pain for a long period of time. So the most challenging aspect for me was to accept that even a 50% of reduction in pain was still a success for the patient, although it was not for me initially. Uh, for me, I had two aspects, actually. Uh, one for the patient's side, to see the light in their eyes. They've been suffering for years. You help them a bit, they become motivated. And being motivated starts resolving more problems, and it's, it's really rewarding. And on the other hand, it's actually changing my uh, my quality of life too, because I mean, to teach my patient, patients what to do, it's it's not easy. And usually I I want to really grind myself before recommending a treatment modality to, to a patient. I really want to understand what it feels like for us. And I started uh, working on, I started taking meditation classes. I started reading about pain psychology more. And these things really improved my life. I think that for me, um, helping the patient kind of improving the pain and allowing them to have a normal functioning, being able to talk, eat, laugh again without pain, one of the most regarding aspects of what we do, which at the end has a great I mean, big impact in their quality of life. And I, Know that it sounds kind of one of those repetitive and prefabricated phrases, but with time, I think I think more and more true. 
And also being kind of a full-time student is extremely demanding physically and emotionally. So when you see the impact of what you do in the patient's life, give you that kind of extra energy and sense of purpose to continue moving forward and going with it. And regarding the challenges, I think that's something that I learned to always ask to the patient is what are their expectations from us? Because in our facial pain, we know that sometimes we have those extremely straightforward cases, just a clicking, popping TMJ without pain, but also those that present a huge talent when trying to align the patient's expectations with the real prognosis and what we and other makeup providers we really do. And there are many conditions that we know that will require multiple trials of, I don't know, medications, behavioral interventions, and also that some of them will end up being intractable and we will need to explain that to the patient. And that educational process can be extremely challenging, at least at least for me so far. But I also know that if it's well done, it can become one of the most important factors for the patient's management. And for me, achieving that is definitely the most challenging aspect when dealing with chronic pain, especially when it's in, a, in the orofacial region. I think the most rewarding aspect is you know everything about your patient. You're capable of helping them in every aspect of their lives, whether you know the medical history, the dental history, the psychosocial. You're like basically a life coach and trying to help your patient in every part of it. Uh, but knowledge is like a double-edged sword. Sometimes like I know too much. <laughs> I feel like Sometimes it's difficult for me to draw boundaries. I take their problems with me home. And sometimes that affects me. I know I'm supposed to be better at that, but maybe that's why I'm here doing this training. Um, yeah, all our patients have their stories. I think um, one of the most rewarding things is, um, well, I think about our patients and how tough it is to kind of live with chronic pain. And ultimately, I get to be a source of helping to alleviate that for them. And I think, you know, that's simply enough. It just brings me a lot of uh, personal satisfaction. Um, challenging aspects, um, I think there are many to what we do. But um, one that I find challenging is, um, you know, sometimes helping patients reach acceptance of their chronic pain condition and then uh, learning the best ways that they need to manage that. Um, and then not always having all of the answers and not having a cure is tough. Yeah, I agree with everyone. Um, so on my end, as I previously answered, I have this rewarding moment which you reach the correct diagnosis. So finally, patients have the best treatment option for them. It's also very rewarding when you are able to build rapport and trust with the patient and leading to leaving the patient for them like less pain or even pain-free life. It is very rewarding. However, there are challenges. And from my prospect, what has bothers me, um, yes, building boundaries, yes, communication, there is always some challenges. But the most challenge I am facing is actually the policies and the medical and dental care system. Think about it this way. It's such a luxury that in U.S., our TMD specialty is being covered by insurance for most of the state, and the patients are able to be covered to get care. And um, a lot of places outside of U.S. 
that has not been approved and covered by insurance, and there's not enough care providers, and patient cannot find anyone to help them. Even if they drive eight hours to find a provider, there's no insurance coverage. It's a very high cost, very difficult path for them to get care. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, I don't know if in the future I'll be able to address that, but I'll be happy to contribute for this big challenge. That leads me to my next question. If somebody would be interested in orofacial pain, based on your experience, what would you recommend them to, to get started in this field? I think that this question is a very, very important. In fact, for example, when we were like in a school, right? So you would not know where to find the resources or the right resources. I think that um, like the mini residencies that normally the program, some of the program uh, organize are a good option for a, a, a dentist to see um, if they want to be, uh, if, if I want to to be emerged in this in this field because it's anyway not not uh, not as a dental um, dental professional would look like normally and then also I know that there are some AOP uh, podcasts with the relief on on uh, some topics and I feel uh, I, I listened to them and they were very very informative um, and they also the tough um, tough university organizer with two three months some uh, uh, case series where uh, all the rest and share cases so I think that this might be important resources to 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 let to let the person know if they want to be more involved in this uh, field or not yeah, I, I would like to recommend them if they're really interested in doing our official thing residency. Um, it's a great idea to spend some time uh, with a specialist to shadow them, to observe, and, and to join the sessions with the patients and to see if, they, if it really fits them. Because it's not really really close to dentistry, and it's, I mean, I never seen an official thing specialist in my country. We don't have uh, this specialty is very rare, rare in the Europe too. It's only possible in the US and I tried this in New York and they welcomed me at NYU and I spent almost a year. After that, I was able to really decide what to do on my career path and without doing it, it's hard to get a sense of relationship by just reading the books and cases. For me, it would be for them to be completely sure that this is what they really want and they like it. It's a very particular field and as Dr. Augustine always says it's a sport for the brain and not for our hands but I would also add that it's extremely emotionally demanding and we dentists as Linda mentioned before we are trained sometimes just to think and act in a mechanical way and I would recommend going and spending some time shadowing at private practices or at a university whatever they have available just to get immersed and feel the experience because I think that orofacial pain is a field that or you love it or you don't and you really need to be sure and convinced that is what you like or at least on the other side that you don't hate it. So I think you need to live the experience in order to know that is what you really want. Yes, I agree. The shadowing is very important to just see how the flow goes, how the patients are. And I like also the sources that Linda has been uh, talking about because most of them are online resources. So people who are like, I'm talking about myself, I'm from Egypt, I didn't have uh, access to shadow any of uh, specialists. So having such resources, it would be of great help. 
I suggest for anybody wanting to enter the field, really take your time and explore and understand um, that this is the field for you. Uh, much like Diego mentioned, talk to people who do this and shadow them, attend conferences, research the field. Um, but know this also can be a rewarding space that's full of opportunities. And ultimately, we just need more practitioners who are caring and um, want to move the field forward. Yeah, I think every aspect is very well covered, especially those resources from Taft, from AOP. Uh, I do know, correct me if I'm wrong, AOP is offering a mentoring program. I don't know if it's only for U.S. trained dentists or dentists all over the world. For international dentists, they may have very limited resources to shadowing, coming person, finding a mentor. But now we have internet, so they can send emails. They can email us. They can look for the lectures online, and they can read the books. And um, yeah, um, another thing I want to emphasize is actually the value. So um, I think as a TMD or facial pain specialist, uh, the value is slightly, I, I don't know if this is the correct term, uh, we are not an uh, intervention-oriented practice. Uh, if you want the best care for your patient with the best evidence, a lot of times it's not an intervention. It could be something else. So um, if you value about the best care, if you value about um, the psychosocial aspect and you're you are fascinated by chronic pain, yeah, definitely try to communicate more with people in the field to justify your value, your motivations. This is an important thing to help you um, stay in the field for the long-term career. And I think it's very important. And what about patients? What resources would you recommend for them? It's a really hard question. Actually, there is some content on YouTube. There is a good physical therapist post some videos. And there are some books like Taking Control of TMJ by Robert Abgard. He's an oral surgeon and he started to do a lot of TMD surgery and he realized a lot of this is chronic pain and it's not necessary for them to go through surgery. That's why he wrote this book. And um, this is a simple book for patients. And um, I think I do realize there's a gap that there's not a lot of good, high quality and correct knowledge for TMD patient online. And I'm not the best one to give advice to the patient, what source is the best. Maybe we should be the one, the generation to initiate this, to start to build some content online. So Maram has been building a, a Instagram pages um, for our, our faculty, our clinic. And we wish we can post more knowledge, knowledgeable information or helpful information for TMD patients. Dr. James Frickton is actually building a website and training program for the independent home self-care program, but I think he's still doing the clinical trial. It has not been open to public yet. So we are working on it, but not ready yet. <laughs> and I think the AOP has its member directory. So you can search by the state where our um, uh, any uh, specialist that graduated from the AOP and they can, I think if you just contact your specialist, whatever, the closest specialist to you, they will help you. Yeah. Talking about resources, I think that 
is not only important to promote them for the patients, I think also for the general dentist. I remember a couple of weeks ago, as an anecdote, we were having the interviews with the candidates and one of them asked me about the same, what was my kind of path or how they end up here. And we talk about that and I remember Googling something. And the following day I went into Instagram and I'm not a conspirationist, but I remember every two stories you will see those, oh, come and get into this course about Botox for TMD. So after that, it was like, oh, this machine for this and that. And I think that now that our facial pain became a specialty, we will have to face that kind of transition between what is kind of evidence-based and what we were trained to do versus people that maybe has been doing pretty good treatments, but you also have people that are like doing non-evidence-based treatments, just one intervention for all type of TMD that maybe were not even that. So I think it's also important kind of to kind of spread the word and to teach people and to let them know where to get trained, where to find resources. And I remember Dr. Rockison saying that if you're a specialist, you should work doing what is for you as a specialist. And a general dentist should be able to treat basic muscle joint pain because we don't have enough specialists in this country. And it's like when you are a prosthodontist versus a general dentist, a general dentist can perfectly do a lot of restorations, crowns, and the process will take care of those cases that are like more refractory to treatment. So I think that kind of transition is the one we're living now. And we need to kind of provide and also create those resources for the general dentists. Yes, thank you, Diego. Uh, I'm just going to add a few words to support him. I really agree with you uh, to the point that the Instagram ads is very profit-oriented. And I Googled something about literature and I received ads on Instagram about Botox injection as well. It's very annoying. And uh, another thing is the best resources for the patient. It's really not just the knowledge on YouTube or the exercise on YouTube, but where to find the proper provider to take care of you and give you the correct guidance. Um, a lot of content on Google could be misleading. You don't know who wrote this article behind the scene, and that could be a mistake. That could be a misdiagnosis, right? So finding the correct provider is the really important thing. Wonderful advice. Thank you. So let me ask you a little bit more about yourselves. Where do you see uh, yourself in five years from now once you finish your program? I um, personally would like to work in a multidisciplinary academic environment. Um, and uh, this is new to me because I've always working as a, uh, in private practice and I love working with my patient. But now I see how our call might be also to teach to the new generation of students how to distinguish this condition or how to avoid irreversible and uh, unsuccessful treatments uh, to help out uh, us as specialists and also our, our patients' population. So teaching will be a preponderant part of my, of my future. And uh, um, I also see how important it will be to collaborate with other specialties in the treatment of uh, OFP. Um, like in the, in the uh, residency that we have, we see how important it is to collaborate with the physical therapy and a psychological, and a psychological team. So um, I see myself working in a multidisciplinary uh, environment. I want to stay in the U.S. for, for a couple of years, but um, 
I mean, the main thing is I want, I just want to find a working atmosphere where I can actually work and practice or pressure thing only. And maybe after some time, uh, I do have an academic calendar in my head. I planning to learn some extra stuff and decide related to or pressure thing. And then maybe I might go back to Turkey and try to help to spread the knowledge there a little bit and maybe help to um, maybe open a clinic in a, at, a, at an institution and we try educating dental students and, um, and start the patient in, uh, understanding a little bit and help the patients. But there are a lot of patients in Turkey. Uh, I go visit my family very often. And I spend like three, four weeks there. Every time I go, my close friends know that I study in vocational thing in the US and take different patients. There are a lot of patients, specialists around and they, they keep suffering. So somebody has to go to Europe, go to Turkey, go to Egypt, and um, keep educating people too. So that's part of my plan too. In the at least in the professional aspect, I see my face myself just practicing full-time orofacial pain and dental sleep medicine. I'm lo in love with it. I don't see myself going anywhere else. Um, five years ago, I was a um, faculty of prothodontics in Cairn University in Egypt. I hope in five years I will remain a faculty uh, in Cairn University in Egypt, but this time creating an orofacial pain speciality in Egypt. In Egypt and any part of the Middle East, I know that we don't have it. I hope I can do it. I think you can. <laughs> Thank you. I think those are <laughs> those are great aspirations. Um, for me, I'm very clinically focused. Um, I see myself going full time into private practice. Um, you know, maybe eventually owning a practice. Um, with that being said, um, I think we all. Um, Uh, kind of have a responsibility to participate kind of in the academic world, I suppose, um, getting people aware of uh, the orofacial pain space. Um, you know, I see myself, you know, participating with the AOP um, in local groups, kind of educating in that sense. Um, so I think I'll be connected in that way, but um, ultimately want to just do full-time orofacial pain. For me, Similar to Marom, five years ago, I was an oral surgeon in China, and I decided to do more research. Just feels like research helps more patients than just seeing patients every day. And then two years or three years after I did my PhD, I got interested in TMD. Um, what will I be after this? Um, I think for sure I'll get my license. I really don't know where I won't practice, but... Short-term goal, I would like to bring this back to Canada. Right now, there's a strong need in Canada, but there's not enough providers. And uh, policies is a barrier. I mean, insurance and policies is one, right now a barrier. But I hope I can contribute to remove these barriers and bridge the gap in Canada. Um, Long-term, I do hope I can bridge the gap in China, but there's a lot of culture barriers mindset barriers and policy barriers, I know it's going to be much more difficult than break those barriers in Canada. So I don't know if I will make it, but yeah, probably you guys will see me in Montreal in a few years. You guys alluded of how demanding, you know, being in a full-time or official pain program can be. 
uh, also, you know, you mentioned how important it is to compartmentalize. So, you know, you don't bring all your worries from work back home. So tell us a little bit, if you don't mind sharing, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I don't know how much fun is considered by the general people, but I love statistics. And so statistics is part of my spare time. Uh, I also like like still to to write research uh, uh, and articles, but I also love sport. So this is part of my daily routine, uh, which I think that it's absolutely necessary for your mental health. So um, I run, I swim, uh, I ski, and I also play the piano and I sing uh, in a choir. So I keep myself busy. Uh, residence ruined my life, I'll be honest. <laughs> but um, I'm trying to recover recently. I play guitar a lot. I like live music shows and plan to go to see some time to time. And I do like long walks. In my case, I love going hiking with friends. Like Sinton is a city that has many incredible places to go and hike. For some of them, you don't even need to drive to go there. I also love cooking, but not because I enjoy doing it, but because it creates those kind of moments to spend with kind of the people that is here where mostly international students. So creates our own support system. And also because I love eating and I remember when working with Linda and other residents, kind of going in our own projects, the deal was that at some point that I would stop working, they will continue on that and I will cook. That was my role in the team. And then we will continue working together. So we just criticize from the kitchen about their other people's work. You are a great addition to the team. Wow. <laughs> I was <Yeah>. fundamental. <laughs> yes. Uh, for me, I like sports as well. I'd like to try any kind of sports. I'm usually a complete failure, but it's okay. Um, I like the hiking. I enjoy photography. I think that photography um, helps you just see the beautiful side of the story. So that are my hobbies. Uh, when I have spare time, I, I like to spend it with uh, my wife and my family. Uh, we like to ski, snowboard. Uh, we like to go on road trips, see comedy shows. Um, I love to also be active and go hiking and running as well. I found so many shared interests among you guys. I still will get along very well. Um, for me, I think right now my first goal is to get enough sleep. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed by the amount of work and lectures and research work. But if I do have spare time, um, I do like to go for exercise. I used to love jogging and I run like half marathon, but I got really bad knees and I stopped that. Sorry, Linda, I cannot run with you. Um, but I love to go to the gym and do some lightweight lifting um, and I enjoy it. Um, I do play an instrument, not guitar, not piano. It's called guqing. It's a very old Chinese instrument, like more than 3,000 years. You can imagine it as a harp or a guitar but horizontally and yeah i once showed this among my colleagues i hope i didn't put them into sleep it's very calming um so it's like my music therapy i love plants i have a lot of plants at home and i have two cats so when i have time to take care of my plants and my cats um, um otherwise i enjoy reading I like musical shows and i love go hiking 
like once a week, I'd like to explore a new place with my friend, like a different national park or a different, just a different place. Yeah, I love exploring new things. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, for sharing your experiences, your interests, your aspirations. It's been really inspiring. So I really appreciate all of you taking your time. And I hope that we will have a chance to record another podcast in the near future. 